All right. Check, check. All right. You can open your Bible to 1 Samuel 16. We continue our series this morning in the books of Samuel, which are books to us, but originally it was just book. It was book of Samuel. I want to invite us to um, keep in mind, be praying for a Christian. Moscoso this morning, he is preaching in Bogota at a sister church of ours. Last Sunday, uh, this is him preaching in Rio Acha at Vida en su Palabra, uh, Life in His Word Church there. So Rio Acha, that's where Eduardo, if you guys remember Eduardo, um, that's where he's from. That's his church that he's preaching at last week. Texted with Eduardo this week, said they had a fantastic time. Both uh, he was teaching on Saturday as well. And so um, preaching soon this morning as well, so we want to pray for him. But also, I want to pray for Caleb and Hannah and Hattie. So, where are you guys at? You guys, all right, please stand. All right, so today is Caleb's last day with us. Hannah and Hattie will be here a little longer. Um, but their days as a family here at Trinity are coming to a close. This June, they will be headed as a family to Durban, South Africa for three weeks where um, they will be uh, strategically seeking to, well, both be interviewed and to interview. Um, it's an opportunity for them to meet missionaries, to visit churches um, that they are seeking to work with in the near future. So they will then return back to Florida after that three weeks and then move to back to California where they are from and where their home church is and to eventually be sent out by their home church. All right. So once back in South Africa, once they're sent from their church in California and back in South Africa, they will be seeking to partner with 12 other churches. While they focus on one church, they'll be seeking to work with all 12 by serving, just bringing together youth and children. And so um, their mission organization is Association of Baptists for Worldwide Evangelism. And if you would like to support them, I'm sure they would welcome that. All right? So you can see them about any more information about that. But I want us to pray for them as well as Christian this morning. So a few of you would gather around them. Um, that would be appropriate. And let's pray. Father, first of all, Lord, we lift up Christian to you as he's preparing to preach here in a few moments. We ask that you would bless him in the preaching of your word. We pray that you would strengthen him and that through the preaching of your word, you would build your church there in Bogota, Lord, and uh, brothers, Alvaro and David, Lord, and just others that, that uh, have met, that perhaps we, we know faces of, that have stood on this platform, and many who have not. Lord, we lift up our brothers and sisters and ask that the gospel would be proclaimed and it would advance this morning, Lord, and we lift up. Caleb and Hannah and Hattie and Lord their hearts desire to go into all the world and to preach the gospel Lord the 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 very thing that that, that as a church we have a heart for we have a desire for now there are those among us who are being sent out Lord into other places around the world. And we want to stand with them and lift them up to you, Lord, and pray over them. We ask that you would strengthen them as a couple and as a family. We pray that you would protect them. We ask that you would give them wisdom over these next weeks as they, as they travel to South Africa, as they meet these different missionaries and churches. 
And as strategic plans begin to um, take place and begin to, uh, desires actually begin to form before them, Lord, we pray that you would just bless them as a couple, them as a family, strengthen their marriage, strengthen their home, and use them. Use them mightily in South Africa. Lord, I pray for their support. I pray that they would receive all that they need, Lord, and that the gospel would be advanced through them. Lord, and we pray for the preaching of your word here this morning. We ask that you would bless it and use it and strengthen your church here and build your church. And for those who are here this morning and they're not serving you and they're not followers of you, we pray that by your spirit you would move among us today and that you would bring about salvation in this room. And Lord, for all of us today, I pray that we would be encouraged by your word and strengthened and built up. For the glory of your name, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for praying. Well, growing up, uh, lived on, uh, my family lived on a dirt road. Um, we lived on dirt streets, 1040 Hobson Street, Longwood, Florida. Uh, and on the dirt streets, you would find eight-year-olds, 10-year-olds, 12-year-olds, we were playing street ball. That's what we would do. We'd play street ball on the dirt roads. Uh, if it wasn't raining every day until it was dark and you could no longer see the ball in front of your face. We would, uh, there were obstacles in this street ball. Um, some, you know, at different points, depending on age, you know, sometimes first base was a mailbox. I feel for some of our neighbors. Um, and there were the, the biggest obstacles, well, there was woods. And so if you hit the ball down the first base line, you're in the woods. <laughs> if you hit it down the third base line, well, you're fine if you hit it low. But if you hit it high, there is a certain tree that you would hit and you would have interference, and plinko would happen, you know, as the ball would come down the tree, and uh, the, the fielder had the right to call do-over. That's a do-over, and, and there was no argument about it. it you, just as the fielder, you had the right to call the do-over, so batter would have to go back into the batter's box, and it's a do-over. Say all that to say, God is providing Israel a do-over. A do-over king here in chapter 16. Samuel is a book that's all about this search for a king. And that's the irony of the book. And it's the irony of America. And it's even the irony of our lives. As they search for a king, the irony is that they already have one. A sovereign one. A faithful one. A good, faithful, sovereign God king. That's the irony of the book and of our lives. They were and we are searching for a king in our day as well when the king of kings is right there in front of them, in front of us. Have you found your king yet? That person or thing that will give you a sense of peace and comfort and safety, a sense of um, belonging and just where we make good things into bad things. 
You know, you can own a boat, car, or house, or your house, boat, or car can own you. You can look to relationships for your prince charming and turn him or her into your king or queen. Drugs, alcohol, shopping, hobbies, sports, cooking, children, marriage, money, success, promotion, increased lifestyle, and a million more things can easily become our source of peace and security and comfort from the king that we make these things to be. That's even how we pray sometimes. Maybe you and I sound a lot like Israel when we pray. Give me, you fill in the blank. When we already have the king of all kings before us. So the point, first point we're going to make this morning from the text is Samuel's overwhelming grief. It actually started at the end of chapter 15. The last part of the last verse, it says, but Samuel grieved over Saul. And then chapter 16, verse 1, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul? Since I have rejected him from being king over Israel, fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Why such grief, Samuel? Maybe is the question we would have of the text. Well, here's why Samuel is so filled with grief. It's because God was to be their king. But God wasn't good enough for the people. We need another king, they say. A better king than the king of kings. A king who looks the part. A king who looks the part like the other nations. They have a king who looks the part. We want to be like the other nations. And we've been saying for many weeks now that we do the same foolish things. They preferred to have someone who looked the part of a king but was no king at all. Saul looked like a king, but he was no king. And that's how they ended up with King Saul. If you remember, he had a pretty awkward start at the anointing service. Samuel, behold your... Where'd he go? He's hiding amongst the luggage. Well, he's no longer hiding in Samuel at this point like he once did. Now he's a lover of self, a promoter of himself promoter of his own glory, and that will drive and motivate him literally to his death. So why do we find Samuel in such grief here at the end of 15 and the start of 16? Well, I would simply ask us, have you ever grieved over people you love? Have you ever grieved over people you love? Samuel has poured out his life for these people and he wants better for the people of God and yet they continue in their stubbornness to reject him. Why is Samuel grieving? I think he's grieving because to watch these people spiral down, downward is painful. He cares about God's people. People ask me, what do you like most about being a pastor? Oh, that's simple. People. And then they ask me, what do you like least about being a pastor? (laughs) Oh, that's simple. People. People are a joy. People are painful. 
Pastoring is so rewarding and so punishing. Pastoring is grieving. But here, you know that grief. You know what that grieving is like. You grieve too because people you love have rejected the God you love. Why is Samuel grieving? That's why. It's a combination, a recipe for grief. God is faithful. People are foolish. It equals grief. Well, the Lord says to Samuel, in essence, get over it. It's time to move on. How long are you going to grieve, Samuel? It's time to move along. They've rejected me, we were told that earlier in Samuel. But I'm the sovereign king, so stop your grieving. It's time to go. Now, this is what I love about this directive by God to Samuel. Nothing changes. Nothing has changed in the circumstances. All the circumstances remain. There's no reason for him to stop grieving circumstantially. There's reason for him to stop grieving because the Lord said, stop it and go. And so what I love is in the midst of the same circumstances that remain, he stops his grieving and he goes. He obeys the Lord. It's verse four. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and they said, we'll cover that in a moment. just want to point out that Samuel obeyed the Lord. Now hear me, Samuel had no earthly idea of how that simple act of obedience would play out. Do you know that that one act of obedience will far outlive him? Listen, this one act of obedience by Samuel is literally tied to redemptive history. We might even go so far as to say, if you're in the building and you're saved, it's connected to this moment of obedience. So there's a time for grieving, but there's also a time in the midst of all the circumstances that remain to move along. Why? Because he's the sovereign king. It's enough said. God has a plan. He has provided. I love how it says here in verse one, I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. I have provided for myself. Praise be to God. He has provided for himself. You see, the previous chapters in Samuel is the people's desire for the king of their choosing. And God says to Samuel, give them what they want. It'll be a source of judgment to them. Give them what they want. Give them their choice of a king. Now God is saying, I will choose the king. I will provide for myself. A king after my own heart. But we all know that this is pointing to another king. That's what the Old Testament does. God is providing for the people 
God is providing for the people throughout history because, well, when God provides for himself, praise be to God, it provides for you and I. His provision for himself, it's what we want. Even when we don't know, that's what we want. Praise be to God. He has provided for himself. And as he has done that, he has provided for you. Friends, we don't need another king. We have been provided the king of kings. Number two, there's overwhelming grief gives way to fear. So we move from grief to fear. Sound like any of our lives? I dare say so. Verse two. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord and invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, do you come peaceably? Now, if you're wondering why are they asking that question, read chapter 15. Read chapter 15. Or if you were here last week, Josiah preached on it. But if you weren't, just go back and read chapter 15. You get an idea why you might be a little bit afraid of this guy, Samuel, at this point. Do you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably I've come. Don't read it right now. Stick with me. I have come to sacrifice To the Lord, consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So overwhelming grief gives way to fear. Samuel's response was, okay, I'm not to be grieved. I'm to go. And then he says, how how can I go? Because if if Saul hears it, he's going to kill me. I'd like to obey but I'd also like to avoid dying. If Saul hears about it, I'm a dead man. Because that's what kings are about. What do I mean? Kings are about their own glory. Now again, remember, Saul was the king who was cowering behind the cargo, afraid to be made king. Now, apparently, As the king, he will kill the man of God who's headed to anoint the next king. Because this man of God in that anointing is a threat to his kingdom and his kingship, his rule and his reign. So we go from this great grief to this great fear, which leads us along. Number three, overwhelming grief gives way to fear, which gives way to Bethlehem. Bethlehem. Bethlehem, that's the town we talk about once a year during Christmas, right? Bethlehem, remember, Bethlehem because God is a sovereign king, Bethlehem. Not random Bethlehem, but sovereign king, God, provider, Bethlehem. So six times in two chapters, you're going to hear things like Jesse the Bethlehemite or Bethlehem, Jesse the Bethlehemite, Bethlehem, Jesse the Bethlehemite. Bethlehem, you're going to hear it over and over and over again, which takes us to places like, well, we'll go to a couple prophets. First of all, Micah 5. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, you're insignificant. 
That's what Scripture is saying. You, from you shall come forth from me one who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth, and the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty and the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. Who is Micah talking about? He's talking about the King of Kings who will come to Bethlehem, Jesus. Isaiah 11. Verses 1 and 2, we actually sang about the root of David this morning. We, I don't know if you remember, we preached, well, we preached all through Isaiah. So we're going back a couple years now. I remember the illustration to, to Isaiah 11, this verse. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. And you know what I put on the screen? A picture of a tree in my backyard that I had cut down, an oak tree. Took it down to a stump, and it was growing. And so I put the picture, it was about 10 foot. Now it's about 25 foot tall. It's in my backyard. You can come see it. It's amazing. We marvel at it. Wow, that was just a stump. I cut it down to the ground. To say out of that, out of that weakness of a stump, the stump, the root of Jesse will come a king. That's what Isaiah is prophesying. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And so the, the, the author here in Samuel is saying, Bethlehem, 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 Bethlehem to be a pointer to us to go, oh, wow, we know this side of Bethlehem what they're talk, what, what the sign is pointing to. A better king is coming than King David. And so Samuel and Ruth and Micah and Isaiah and more Old Testament gems, they all exist to tell us another king is coming. King Jesus will be born in Bethlehem. Hear me. Brothers and sisters, all grief, we started with grief, we moved to fear. All grief and fear give way in Bethlehem where God provides a king. We're not talking about King David. We're talking about the king of all kings. All grief, all fear gives way at Bethlehem where God is providing for himself. And when he provides for himself, he's providing for you and I, the king the king of ages, the king who we sang of this morning, the holy God. He doesn't come like Saul or the other kings. He doesn't come to take from you like Samuel warned the people. The king, you're going to anoint a king. He's just going to take from you. He's going to take your sons, your daughters, your land. He's going to take, take, take. No, the king will come to Bethlehem. And he doesn't come to take from you. He comes to lay down his life and to give to you. This is the way he provides. The providing God, king of the universe, will provide for himself. And when he does, he will provide for you and me. And he will come to Bethlehem to provide, not to take from you, but to give to you. He will lay down his life so that you might have abundant life in Christ Jesus. Bethlehem, such a random place. Bethlehem, so insignificant on the map. 
Bethlehem in the text over and over again is a pointer to Christ is coming. The king is coming. Bethlehem speaks to us and says, God will provide. In the midst of your grief, in the midst of your fear, God will provide. Number four, overwhelming grief gives way to fear, which gives way to Bethlehem and reveals to us the heart of God. You know, we vote with our eyes. You know that. A couple ways to convince us. American Idol. I was amazed. I didn't even know it was still going. I was in a coffee shop this week, and sure enough, table next to me was pretty excited about a recent episode. Okay, sounds like a good illustration for Sunday. American Idol, where you judged a person not only with how they sounded, but how they looked. And so thus came along, right, the next generation of singing shows. How many are there now? Who knows? But The Voice, right? And with The Voice, it's a clever, it was smart, right? Take the judges and turn them away from the performer. And so that they could judge the singer, go figure, by their singing. <laughs> Until they came to the point they wanted to work with that singer and they slapped the button and it turned their seat around and now they could see the person who was doing the singing. It's clever. That's also another way to say we judge with our eyes. We do this all the time without thinking about it. What is your favorite restaurant? I bet you the food looks good. Because we like our food to look good, not only taste good. As a matter of fact, I think we, we, we are convinced, even before we take a bite often, that this is really good food because it looks like really good food. Why do menus have pictures? Why do we need pictures? Well, because we judge with our eyes. And they, it's, a, it's not a good establishment when you're looking in the glass refrigerator and it just doesn't look good. We assume it's not going to taste good. What is meant when we say of a candidate, he just doesn't look presidential. We judge with our eyes. So let's read verse number six. When they came, he looked, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I've rejected him. For the Lord sees, not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. You know, before we started this series, we wrestled. We wrestled. What do we want to put on the wall? What do we want Trinity to see every week as we go through this series? We want you to see this verse and be reminded week in and week out what does man look at and what does the Lord look at? But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I've rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. What do we look on? Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass by. 
And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest. Like we don't even count him. He doesn't even get an invitation to the party. And there, and he said, there remains yet the youngest. But behold, he's keeping sheep. He's lowly, is what that's saying. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him. For we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him. Now he was ruddy, had beautiful eyes, was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Verse six really just begins this parade of sons, of the externals. How's this guy look? How's this guy look? Does this guy look like a king? Does this guy look like a king? Eliab? Yeah, he's the king, right? He looks like a king. He's the firstborn. He looks kingly. He, I present to you. No, not Eliab. No, not that guy. Okay, then I present to you. A di- no, not a dinner bat. I present and seven times over. Not this guy, not this guy, not this guy. And we come to that verse seven. The one that hangs on the wall. The Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance. The Lord looks on the heart. It's the key to the book. It's appropriate that it's hanging on the wall. It's the key to the universe. It's the king to your, it's the key to church life. Rote religion says, keep up the externals. Make sure you walk through the doors all put together, looking just right. Wrote religion says, keep the externals up, put on your best smile, come to church. Relationship with Christ frees us from the show. You don't have to come to church all put together, putting on an external show, either for others or even for yourself. We can be real with each other. We're not all that Fixed up, people. Kim and I argue really bad sometimes. You should see it. We could sell tickets. Our marriage isn't perfect. Surprise, surprise. It's good. We love each other. Two sinners, June 23rd, 1990, before a lot of you were born. Whew. You do the math, almost 32 years ago, next month. Two sinners said, I do, I do. We like to see with eyes on the externals. The Lord sees with eyes on with the internals. I'm glad, I was thinking about this, I'm so glad I don't have eyes for the internal. Can you imagine? Look around you, look around you. What if you knew the heart 
of everybody in here. <laughs> Probably wouldn't be real encouraged. But the Lord does. The Lord sees with eyes internal. He can handle that. We can't handle that. The Lord looks at the heart. Now we can fool others with the externals. We can even fool ourselves with the externals. Like we can actually start to think things about ourselves just even based on our own externals. But you can't fool God. How foolish that we think we can actually fool God. God knows you. What's going on in your heart is what the Lord looks to. Now, lest you think with that previous statement, none of the externals qualify you, lest you think, okay, cool, I will just live like I want to live. I will just do what I want to do. And you know what? In my heart, I love the Lord. I love God. God, I love you, and I'm going to live for myself and for the world. Well, that actually exposes your heart. You, your heart is saying something other than what you're saying. Your heart is not one of honoring God in the worship of him. You're just trying to continue to fool yourself and fool others and wear the mask of who you truly are. And again, you're not fooling the Lord. What are you after in this life? If you want to impress others and to fool them and fool yourself, then I guess you can do that. Or you can get your heart right before the Lord and live for the Lord. And so in verses 11 through 13, there's this shocking choice made. A ruddy boy, the lowly shepherd, the kid who literally doesn't get an invitation to the party. It's the ultimate Cinderella story. Will the slipper fit on her foot? No, not on her foot. Will it fit on her foot? No, not on her foot. Oh, it's the one nobody was expecting. Disney has made billions on the Cinderella story borrowed from Scripture. Whose foot will the slipper fit on? The ruddy boy. He's back in the field. He didn't get invited to the party. And so in a very long line of not who you would think, people, Moses, Abraham, Gideon, Hannah, Esther, Ruth, Mary, Jesus, David. You see, if your goal in life in this world, in this world's kingdom, well, if your goal in life is this world's kingdom, then advancement will come to you via the external. Right? It's the appearance. It's the perfect body shape. It's the successful career. Look at you. You're the guy. You're the gal. God looks at your heart. One kingdom gets plastic surgery to hold up an appearance and fix all the blemishes and lives for the approval of others based on an exterior image. The other kingdom repents and lives on one's face before God. 
One lives for man, one lives for God. And that's how this point, point number four, works. And while talking about the heart of man, the heart of God is also being revealed. He will send his son to Bethlehem. And he will call a divine do-over. Do-over. And he could have made the do-over the most handsome, the most amazing looking person who ever was. He could have come and been born to the wealthy, to royalty, at least have him born in Jerusalem. But that's not how he came. He came poor. He came weak. And so most people missed him. They couldn't see it right up until his death. They couldn't see it. How can this be the son of God? How can he be a king? He's hanging on a cross, people. What kind of kingdom makes their king to be weak and poor and humiliated before all on a cross? Are you surprised by David, by the choice that David's going to be king? Didn't see that one coming right? I have more surprising news for you. He chose you and me. Be stunned that he's choosing David from shepherd boy, ruddy kid out with the sheep. Be stunned that he's chosen you and me. He chose you, not because you're beautiful, not because of externals, not because you're successful, not because he saw something amazing in you, not because he needed you, not because you were externally put together. He chose you and me in our pitiful state of weakness and pathetic attempts at righteousness. He chose you not because of you, but in spite of you, to the praise of his glory. Paul will say over and over again to the praise of his glory. To the, he can't finish a sentence. Let's read it. Ephesians 1. Consider, consider your own calling. He chose you as we read. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. When did he chose you? If you're a believer in this room this morning, Holy Scripture is telling us he chose you before you ever were, before this world ever was. He chose you. It's not based on you. It's not based on your good works. It's not based on the externals. It's based on the sovereign king because he will provide for himself. And when he does, he's providing for you. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Christ Jesus, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. 
In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven, things on earth. In him we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, because he's the sovereign king, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Christian, you are a surprising choice. And God chose you because he's providing for himself. And as he does so, he's providing for you. Praise be to God. There is a divine do-over taking place there in Israel. Wow, amazing. God's not gonna just let them suffer with King Saul. Do-over, King David. God will provide another do-over, a better do-over, a better king. Jesus Christ will come. The root of Jesse, the stump will come to Bethlehem. Let's stand together. The king came poor and weak and he looked defeated and he looked foolish on the cross. But the king was doing what kings ought to do. He was providing, he was caring, he was laying down his life because that's what his kingdom is all about. And now he is the risen king. He rules from heaven's throne. He has ultimate victory. He is the king of glory. Let's sing.